Welcome to the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast, where excuses aren't tolerated and results are earned through authenticity, vulnerability, and a commitment to excellence. My name is Amber Furman, success architect, attorney, and NLP trainer. If you're ready to bitch slap the bully in your brain, overcome the bullshit that holds you back, and design the life and success you've always wanted, then it's time for you to break your bullshit box and step into designing life and success on your terms. Welcome back to another episode of the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast. Today's interview is unlike anyone that I think I've ever done before, and it was so much fun to record. Today I have Greg Thompson with us, and he is the founder of Prison Break Brewery. He's an expert in start from scratch, real scratch, building a business that was born from behind the fence, quite literally. Greg is the founder of a beer company, Prison Break Brewery, that produces music, publishes books, and provides top-of-the-line beer, all produced and written by former inmates of the federal prison system, of which Greg was a 22-year veteran. Greg and I have some real conversations about what the prison break mindset really looks like and the incredible connection between the mindset that caused him to end up a felon and doing multiple prison stints and spending 22 years in prison and the mindset that keeps us stuck in a prison of our own making, the victim mentality, the refusal to take responsibility, the excuses that we all make, the victim of circumstances, all of those things, we really dig into the human side. This is one of the most human and authentic and real episodes I've done in a long time. It was great to get to connect with Greg, to hear his story, and to look at what he's now creating after being in prison for so long. We talked about kind of that moment that he decided to be and do something different. And it was a lot of fun to record. I'm really excited for you to listen to the episode and to learn from Greg. Before we jump into that, before we jump into that, I mentioned that we all have this prison of our own making and we create that through the excuses that we hold on to. If you are ready to break your own excuses, if you are ready to achieve the level of success that you've always wanted and you're just not quite sure how to get there, if you've reached a plateau of success and you don't know what's stopping you from getting to that next level, then let's have a conversation. The Break Your Bullshit Box Academy is releasing and it is about defining your success mindset understanding the things that we say and do and think that hold us back, and then how to actionably plan for what it is that we want to create. It's nine weeks of pure content dedicated to helping you create the life that you want. If you are not happy with the circumstances that you have right now, you can change them. And this course is going to lay out the step-by-step -step process for making that happen. If that's something that you're interested, head over to academy.successdevelopmentsolutions.com and take a look at the course there. I look forward to seeing you in it. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this episode with Greg. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with me today. Well, thank you, Amber. I am happy to be here. 
Um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I am so excited for this interview. And I think the reason um, that I'm most excited is because we as humans tend to um, fall in a category of people that think we should always be in a place that we are, like a different place than where we are now. And um, your story is is one of incredible resilience. So I'm looking forward to sharing that. Um, for those that are listening, why don't you just share a little bit about who you are and where you came from? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I came, I've done over 22 years in prison on uh, multiple drug charges, mostly marijuana, three different uh, prison uh, sentences, two in the federal and uh, one in the state. And every time I've been in, I, I was just always plotting to go get pot and take it around the country again. And this time I decided to change my mind and uh, and do something different while I was in prison. And so I've been focusing on making it since day one this time. And I've never done that. How you do your time really affects on how you do when you get out. If, if you're watching TV and getting involved with all the usual bullshit, then you're going to probably come out and get back into your usual bullshit. But when I got out this time, I was 58, broke, ninth grade education, career drug offender, riding a bus and uh, working for minimum wage at a federal halfway house. Um, and here I sit and to your thing saying I haven't made it yet, but yeah, I've kind of overcame a lot of stuff. And I, this has taken me seven years because I had to build my credit. So I could get loans, so I could get credit cards. I'm doing this on personal loans and credit cards right now. And uh, and, and I did it driving a truck, hauling Hyundais and Teslas around the Southwest. I go to Vegas, your town a lot. Um, I used to. So I quit about three months ago. But that my that's that's basically my story in a nutshell, is that if I can do it at my age, with my background, my education background, um, anybody can do it. But it's not easy. Um, and, and if you think it's going to be easy, then, you know, you're wrong and you're going to probably end up giving up. I, I hear that so much. There's so, well, I'm going to hold off on that statement for a okay. minute because I'm, I'm really excited about what you just said. I'm so excited to dig into this. Um, <laughs> when let's talk about your business for just a minute and give everybody an idea of what it is that you do. So you have a brewery called prison break brewery. Where did this come from and what is the vision for prison break? Okay, uh, we don't have a brewery yet. We I, I contract brew from a place called Gamecraft Brewing, and I sell. Uh, you know, I have them make me kegs and, and cases, and I sell to you know restaurants, bars, and liquor stores. And and as I as I told you before, this was an idea, part of one part of a prison startup. It, prison Break Brewery is just one part of me and my partners overall that that encompasses entertainment, liter. Uh, uh, literature, books, and music. Uh, and what the whole thing that we're trying to do is make all that other stuff give us free advertisement for the beer by having people like you interview us. Because as we grow and we get bigger interviews, I'm, I'm going to, you know, if I do a TV interview, well, well, I'm not buying a commercial. I'm doing a free TV show. Our, so our whole business was predicated on free advertisement because we have no money. But we have a story of overcoming and redemption that people like to hear. And, and it's, uh, it, our vision for it really is, 
it's changed. We, I, we, we wanted to, you know, really take it huge and stuff, but now it's, now I'm 66 and it's like, I want to, I'm, it's more of a proving thing to both of us. We want to make it of course, and we're going to, but this was the first time I've ever followed through on anything in my life and stuck it out. Like school, mm -hmm. I quit everything. I quit. And so, uh, that's, uh, this, that's what this whole business is. It's just like a, and we have a nonprofit arm. We had a, a an apprenticeship program called the OBN Second Chance Initiative. We, we put one girl through where they we gave them courses at San Diego State in Cicerone training, which is like a beer sommelier. And then we interned her at a local brewery. And uh, she was our first one. But we ended up losing all of our money in New York later. So this is how I had to start over. And uh, so that's, our, that's the vision of our company. It's just a... A, a nonprofit, an entertainment, and a beer company where everything kind of brings attention to our brand uh, to sell our beer. So I want to dig into something that you said earlier um, about how you spend your time affects what you do when you get out. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, the the first my first few times in prison. You know, I, all I did, all I did was lift weights and play sports, which I did this time too. But also, I watched television. I, you know, I got high. I ate acid, smoked weed while I was in prison. And, you know, kept breaking up every kind of rule that you know, and just doing time like that. And while I was in, we would sit around and plot. You know, okay, we can get some weed here. And I said, I know some guys back east. You know, and that's all we talked about was breaking and that's what most guys talk about or they romance what they've already done their drug their smuggles that they did everybody tells their stories of their successful drug deals and stuff or whatever they were doing and i promised myself this time that i wouldn't talk about that i wouldn't walk around the track and talk about past glorified my past life even though I, you know i did some fun stuff I, I lived all over the country i made a couple dollars and i actually yucked it up a little but i, I decided not to go that way and kind of uh, work on the now and do the best I could all the time right then in, in, in planning for getting out someday. Specifically, what things do you think you did that positively affected your life when you were released? I had like, you know, I don't, I can't say a hole in my heart, but somewhat, you know, that I was trying to fill with girls, drugs, ill-gotten gains, whatever. And this time when I came in, I go, well, there's something wrong with you. So I started working on myself. I tried going to church. That was, that didn't work out good. And uh, there was too many holes in that. I, I read too much. <laughs> but I know a bad story when I'm hearing one, but all the teachings in there, you know, uh, you know, all the stuff in red, it's good stuff that, you know, I try to live, but I, I ended up getting a spiritual base, uh, got, a, got turned on to a few books, from of all people, Oprah, because uh, a lot of people watch Oprah back in the day in prison. And so I started reading some books to some spiritual people and it took for me. And uh, then I, I followed up, all kinds of spiritual stuff, course and miracles I did for years, all kinds of different, all kinds of different stuff. And that's kind of my fallback position. Um, when I'm, when I'm really feeling stress and, and, and things aren't going my way when I've, since I've been out, I go to some, you know, meditations by people, uh, you know, frequency meditate, whatever you want to call them. And I play them, you know, played them for a couple hours a day while I was driving truck. And it kept me, it kept me going. Uh, it, it just did. Uh, I don't think I, I might not have made it. It kept me positive. 
when um what what book let's start there what's one of your favorite books that you've read oh well this this was 15 years ago i started with uh the seat of the soul gary zukoff and a book called uh well, I did The Power of Now and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm. And, uh, and then I got it. Then, then uh, I, I started reading other, this guy, Gary Renard, which led me to The Course in Miracles. And that's like a, that's like a Bible, but it's not religious. It's, it's just teaching you, you know, it, you're, it's a course, you know, on how to change your thought process. Um, and, uh, and so I did that. I like, cause usually I, when I'm in prison, I'll read, I'll have three books going. I'll have a spiritual book, a nonfiction, and then a junk novel. And so every day I made sure I, I nourished my spirit a little bit and, uh, it's, uh, it's did well for me. You know, one of the things that I love about this conversation the most is you were in a very real and physical prison. However, Everybody is in this metaphorical prison that they create for themselves. And the things that you're talking about are the same things that the people that are in this metaphorical prison experience every single day. Like my clients um, in the criminal defense world, you know, I can list the qualities of the ones that just aren't going to fucking make it. You, you and always then, know. And then the ones that are, and, and as you're talking about um, not taking responsibility for what got you into the situation, looking for something to distract you instead of something to better you, looking for the next fix or the next opportunity that's going to come up. Think of the person that's not necessarily in physical prison, but they're down on their luck and they feel like life can't get any worse. And in this metaphorical prison of their own making, they do the same thing. They blame other people for their situation. They look for that thing that's going to take away whatever it is they're feeling right now, that thing that's going to distract them, the next opportunity that is going to be that next get rich quick thing for them. Um, and I think that's why I love this conversation so much is outside of the fact that you're a very personable person, that you have this incredible redemption story, the things that you've had to learn to go from your rock bottom to where you are now is something that every single person can benefit from. The whole prison break name it's about breaking breaking free of the prison mindset. And I absolutely agree with you that you don't have to have been in prison to, to have the prison mindset, these these prisons that you build your that you build around yourself and the blame. It, it's amazing how how much everybody blames everyone in there for all their problems. And uh and I used to say, God, if I would have done this, I wouldn't have got caught. And if I well, I shouldn't have told I shouldn't have messed with that guy or he wouldn't have told on me. Well, it, what, then this time when I came in, it was, well, I shouldn't have been doing that. You knew better. And, and, and that was my first step of growth was saying, well, yeah, this, you know, this, my friend told on me, but so what? That's not why I went to prison. I went to prison because I got involved in it in the first place and accepting responsibility. You know, that's obvious. I think that, you know, you can't do anything until you accept responsibility for the stuff that's happened in your life so far and the choices you've made. But the great thing about choices, you get to make a new one every second. You don't have to, you can, you can break free from your old ones. And uh, that everything you're, you know, you talk to people, I can tell. And, and you know, oh, this and that, it's this, you know, he told, 
that the court's not fair. Well, if you weren't doing anything, you probably wouldn't be talking to me right now. Right. Well, and that's what I used to tell my clients. Like, first of all, I don't know why anybody hires me because I'm such an asshole to them. And I don't mean to be, I just, I'm not the place where bullshit comes to live. So when my clients start talking to me, I'm like, no, no, this is a no bullshit zone where this, that's not the game we're playing here. And, you know, I'll have clients with multiple felonies and they'll be like, man, it was just the wrong place at the wrong time. And I'm like, I'm 41 years old and I have never been in the wrong place at the wrong time that caused a felony. Right. Like and and like anything, we cannot learn and change from it until we're willing to acknowledge what got us there in the first place. Right. But I will say that there have been times where I've looked at my client's police report and I've thought. My God, the only difference between you and me is you got caught. You got caught. That's it, right? Um, and and that's where I think people ask me all the time, like, how can you do this job? How can you represent people like this? And I'm like, well, because first of all, that word you just said, people, like they're yeah. people, right? Yeah. But second, like I truly believe, you know, everything that I teach from a sales perspective now is based on human behavior. And one of the biggest things that we teach as human behavior is that people are not their behaviors and you love the person and you change the behavior. And even before I knew that part of human behavior, that's always the way that I've approached people is that good people make bad choices and that doesn't make them bad people. And I think that for anybody that's listening, that's what we get to hold on to is I'm sure that you met people in prison all the time that once they started to take responsibility for their actions, they went down this deep hole of self-deprecation. Who am I that would make these choices? And and we get to give ourselves that grace of knowing that we're just humans. Yeah, that's um that that's one of the tenets of the, the book I told you, The Course of Miracles. It's the miracle of forgiveness. And the and the first person you have to forgive is yourself. Uh, and forgive anyone you think wronged you and and because holding grudges against yourself or, or like I could say God you know I, I have a decent mind I had I came from a good family I had every opportunity to succeed and go to school and, and do whatever I be whatever I want to be well to sit here and still beat myself up over it is very counterproductive it's, it's a waste of my time that's the past is the past so I've, I've forgiven myself I forgave myself fairly early on when I realized that that was kind of holding me back and because uh, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, but you got to, you know, just holding on to anything, any kind of against yourself or anyone else is just, it's just terrible. It's bad for you. What type of support did you have? Was your, was your family supportive of you or did you have to find and create your own support system? No, I was all blessed. I have two older sisters who have always loved me and spoiled and looked out for me. And uh, and because when I got out of the halfway house, I went to live with my sister in Lake Havasu. And uh, and they, they you know, they, I was in Colorado, so they could only come up and see me once a year. But they'd send me magazines and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I, always, I was fortunate on that. Now, when I came out, I didn't want to ask them for anything. And then my other one of my sisters says, look, why don't I just loan you the money for a car? So you can quit riding a bus. And uh, I said, I'll pay you back. She goes, I know you will. And uh, and I did, of course. And uh, I was fortunate. And some people aren't that fortunate. 
they burnt their bridges beyond belief or they didn't have them in the first place. Yeah. When, what, what was the biggest challenge that you think that you faced from deciding that this cycle of ending up back in prison was done and that you wanted to do something different with your life? What do you think was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome after you got out? The road, this path, this company that, uh, that, that we embarked on, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I, you know, I, I was just driving a truck, but I still made like 130,000 a year. And, you know, I could have bought me a truck and, and, and made, you know, and made a decent living and probably worked, you know, all this time and had me a house and a boat and stuff. But I chose, uh, I chose this company and I sacrificed a lot. I'm, I've been out almost eight years. I haven't been on a date because mm. dating's expensive and, uh, it costs a lot of money to go out to dinner with a girl and, and stuff like that. And, uh, so I've had to really sacrifice and I, and then probation, if we ever get into that, I had to be moved out of my sister's house because they said, I got a new probation officer said, no, you can't go out of state. I was driving a truck and at the place in Lake Havasu, I don't know if you know where it is. You're right next to Arizona, Nevada and California. And, uh, so it, 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 uh, I had to move to where I live now in Riverside where I didn't know one person. And I live in a tiny place. It's like 400 square feet. And I've been here for years and I thought this company would happen sooner. And mm. it's just been a constant test. It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a constant, constant test. And, uh, and I stayed real healthy and I was always proud of that. I've, uh, I've, I've, I would work 14 hours and I would still work out. There's little things that's that in my head, you know, I wouldn't let go of it. So there's a lot of things I'm kind of proud of, even though I'm not where I want to be. I think you should be incredibly proud. We we end up in the circumstances that we're in because of choices, but it's and it's so easy for us to say, you know, I'm in this place and I guess this is just where I'm going to stay. Um I think that it's so incredibly amazing that you've gotten to where you are now and I have no doubt with the success that you've been able to create already and the resilience that you have that you're going to be successful in what you embark on. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I kind of feel that way. My sisters feel that way. They told me, they said, you were never like this. They noticed it, but that was the spiritual thing. They said, you're not the same person this time. And uh, mm -hmm. usually they would worry about me doing drugs again. And she and both of them said, I don't even worry about you doing drugs. And yeah, uh, yeah it, uh, it, having, their, having them tell me they're proud of me means an awful lot to me. And not wanting to, my parents are dead, uh, but not wanting to let my sisters down and stuff like that. You know, it, it, it's helped me also quite a bit. Yeah. You know, you mentioned probation and for anybody who's not familiar with the criminal justice system, um, <laughs> probation is basically, um, somebody being able to play God over your choices for five to eight years. Um, it's, you know, it's so frustrating to watch my clients because you can have a probation officer that's really, really, really understanding. And then you get into a habit of working with that probation officer and then you get transferred to Hitler and then you've got to adjust and the reality is adjusting is 100% your responsibility because 
you don't get to go into court and be like, well, the other guy let me do it because that's not yeah. the place. But I bring this up because that's life, right? That everything could be going well and lenient. And then all of a sudden, like you get kicked in the balls and you got to right. figure out what huh. you're going to do next. And you can either blame the circumstances of where you're at, or you can say, okay, this is where I'm at and this is what I get to deal with. And how am I going to operate within it? And I think that that ability to adapt, the people who make it through probation successfully have such an adaptability from what they go through being passed through probation officers that I almost think it might be intentional to teach you adaptability. Well, no, um, <laughs> no, no. You know, Although that gives the government a little too much credit for caring uh, about um, rehabilitation. So, yeah, they, they care about it. You know, and it's funny because you said, yeah, they have you under your thumb for seven or eight years. Uh, let me let me just give you a quick synopsis. I had I, I was out on federal probation, and uh, you know, I had just finished my sentence. They were cool. They were letting me drive truck in Arizona, Nevada, California. Everything was going good. I okay, this was two thousand and sixteen. I had a marijuana case from Rhode Island from 1996, okay? They gave me 25 years, nine to serve. I already did the time, and uh, I was on a like an unsupervised release, just a you know supervised release, but don't get in trouble. I didn't have to report. But when California accepted to watch me when I got out, they put me on formal probation. So I was on two probations. So I wasn't getting something from seven years or something ago. I was getting something from 20 years prior. And, yeah. and I, had, I did the boo-hoo, life's not fair. And I was, I was mad or hell because I knew I was trying to do the right thing. And, and my federal probation officers knew it. And I'm going, fuck, I'm doing everything right. Why are they fucking with me? So, of course, I, I got on the pity pot for a minute. And then I realized, well, I'm not responsible for his actions. I'm only responsible for, you know, my response to his actions. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a hard pill to swallow still. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. And, and it always is, right? Like yeah. we can take responsibility for something and still be unhappy with the circumstances <laughs> at the same time. Um, I think the difference between you and those that end up back in prison um, is the unwillingness to sacrifice your freedom because of the circumstances, right? And I know that you had mentioned that that wasn't always you. Um, what do you think is the biggest personality trait that you now possess that the you that kept repeat offending didn't? God, resilience, uh, never quit. Uh, just that never, never give up. Uh, you know, because that, that's it. I gave up really easy before, um, really easy. Something didn't go my way. Uh, I, I, the last time, the first time I got out of federal prison, they told me, well, you, my mom and dad lived in Lake Havasu. They go, you can't go visit them. It's over 100 miles. And I go, well, I haven't seen them for a few years. They go, well, you, in a few months you can. And I said, well, this isn't going to work for me. And they said, so I went, I, I left that. The day I got out of the halfway house, I changed my name, went to Colorado, grabbed 200 pounds of weed, and I was off running around again. I use that as an excuse when I mm -hmm. actually could have worked through it. But I wanted to go do that because I didn't want to go, go do the right thing. And so I use them telling me, you can't go see your parents. I go, yeah, well, fuck that. But in actuality, it was just a cop out. Uh, like everybody, you know, everybody's got their cop out that they use, uh, you know, yeah. when they're not doing it right, the right thing, that is. Yeah, 100%. I mean, 
I just released my first book in August. Um, it's called Break Your Bullshit Box. Um, and one of the things that I talk about in that book is actually the fact that um, my mom and I didn't have a great relationship for a long time. And the moment that our relationship started getting better was the moment that I realized that I had been like playing the victim in so many different places in my life. And that in order for me to be a victim, there had to be a villain somewhere. And that was my mom. She was the person that I blamed for everything that went wrong in my life. She was the person that I blamed for every time that I didn't feel like I was good enough. Like my mom should love me enough that I never question whether I'm good enough. That's so unrealistic. Um, and it was really interesting the moment that I realized that I had been a victim because I'm successful. I'm an attorney. I made it through. I was the first person in my family to go to college. I was the first person to go to law school. I, um, when people look at me from the external, they're like, oh, you're so successful. This is not the type of person that you would expect to say, yeah, I've been a victim my entire life. That's not what victim mentality we're used to seeing. So when I wrote this book and I was like, my God, like that's what I've been doing is playing the victim for so long. And I feel like that's the personality trait that so often gets people stuck is who am I going to blame for my circumstances? Who's that person that's going to take the brunt of the things that I don't want to take responsibility for? Yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I don't think I still 100% see myself in as positive of light as others like yourself are, are telling me I am and other people, like my family, every, a lot of people I meet, you know, because I still know, I still know the old me. And uh, I'm not, I, I don't feel that all, you know, I, I still have, I still have a little bit of that, not much, but it's surprising, but it's not surprising that you telling me this story. I mean, that's very common. Yeah, uber successful people, in fact, never feel all the way successful. That's why they don't quit. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine the, the 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 things Elon Musk has in his head. Um, he must be a basket case, uh, you know, emotionally, because uh, he's a mess in a lot of well, ways. Well, he did tell a whole world of marketers to fuck off a week ago. So I guess like there's something going on. So yeah. And he's amazing. Um, yeah, it is. I think there's something to be said, though, for remembering the past, like remembering it, but not dwelling on it, right? right. Not dwelling on it, not um, beating ourselves up because of it. Yeah. But if we forget it, then we repeat it. And so when we, we remember where we were so that, first of all, we don't go back there again, but second of all, so that we can appreciate where we are now. Um, I, I think it's so incredibly important for us to honor our journey, whatever that journey is. Oh yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I live, I have nothing, you know, I, 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 like right now I have nothing. I have bills. That's what I have. I'm so far in debt and yet I'm, I'm very content in my, in my circumstances because when I look back, you know, when I look back at all the things I family things, my dad's death. I mean, it is everything because I was on drugs. Either I was in prison or I was high. And and so I'm so grateful for where I'm at now, although I'm not anywhere, but I am. Uh, I am up here. Um, I am in my heart and uh, I like the person I am now. And I don't like the person I used to be. I mean, I, but I like I like myself now. And that's just like that's worth 
a lot. That's worth more than anything. And I, but that doesn't mean I'm going to give up. I'm still going to. I still want stuff. Um, yeah, we but, always do. We always do. <laughs> was there a moment for you? I don't know if you remember this far back. Was there a moment for you that you remember making the choice? So when you were first entering into whatever criminal enterprises you were in, was there like a moment where you remember having a choice point and saying, okay, this is the point of no return. This is just my life now. I, I think it was kind of a slow burn. Uh, probably started by quitting high school and getting started. That's when I started getting high. I was a straight A student and uh, you know, I was a real good, a real good student. And, uh, and then in junior high, I started getting high and uh, it was a slow thing. And uh, you know, it, I, I don't think I had like that epiphany that, this is going to be my life. Uh, I wasn't very introspective uh, mm. at, at the time. I became introspective later in life uh, after this, but it would just kept going deeper and I kept burying myself deeper. And there, I, I guess there were times when I just said, well, this is what you're going to be doing now. You're going to be slinging drugs, you know, and uh, but it was more of a slow thing, whereas opposed to when I was going to change my life, that 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 moment's pretty clear uh, uh, to my remembrance uh, when uh, when that happened exactly. And uh, but the not the the bad parts of my life was a slow, steady decline. Was there a moment that you were like deep towards your rock bottom that you looked back and you were like, "How the hell did I get here?" No, because I knew how I got there. I just. I got to that point where I don't want to be that person anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was my bottom. It's funny about that bottom thing. I've been to, you know, as you can imagine, all your clients, they send you to AA. I did drug, I did the drug program three times in prison. I could have taught it. I was, I was, I actually, I was, you know, I, I, I knew the subject matter very well, but I saw all these people doing it and they were just going through the motions and they were singing, you know, you know, all the, all the AA phrases, but they really didn't believe. And I didn't believe. And, and but AA teach taught one thing always is, you know, when you, you can't change till you reach your bottom. And I mm. never felt I had reached my bottom. And that's I don't know how I thought that because I was I, I, had, I had reached it numerous times, but I didn't really see it until until this time when I got arrested this time in 2006. And I had my epiphany and I was going, God, it, yeah, for a halfway bright guy, it sure took you a long time to figure that out. I hear you. And that's what's so interesting about bottoms is that we always think that we're there and then we go worse, right? We go lower. Yeah. And that's why like, I there's, there's a line in my book where um, I say that you shouldn't challenge the universe by saying that um, things can't get any worse because it'll say, hold your beer and hold my beer and watch this, right? Uh, You're like, life just couldn't get any worse than this. Hold, please. Let me show you, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I can totally relate to that, though, because when I look back in my life, especially as I started really taking responsibility and, and um, owning who I was and what I could do, I looked back and people used to ask me, God, that must have been the worst day in your life. I mean, my dad died when I was 18. I went to 10 funerals between the ages of seven and 18. Um, I failed out of undergrad. I failed out of college, had to go back. I had an alcohol problem. Like there was so much. And people used to say, which one of those things was like what you consider your rock bottom? And I'm like, none of them. 
My rock bottom came when I was at the height of my legal career. I was the most successful I had ever been. And I was suffering from panic attacks and anxiety attacks because success, similar to what you said before, like success was supposed to bring me peace and it didn't. And so when I got that success and I still had all of this turmoil going on inside, I didn't know how to reconcile those two things and started having panic attacks and anxiety attacks. So my rock bottom actually came at the height of my legal career when I was the most successful and had the most financial success in my life. Yeah, but that makes total sense because you were at the point of, is this all there is? Yeah, I've done, I've 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 made it. I've done everything, and I'm having fucking panic attacks, and I'm unhappy. Nope. Of course, it, that that's a per, that makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you're thinking this is going to make me happy, and so yep. you work your ass off for it, and you get there, and you're worse, and you go, yep. "Fuck, man, that was a beat bag." Uh, you know, uh, yeah, that makes total sense to me. Um, yeah, it I, makes I, sense I, to me now. It certainly didn't then. Um, <laughs> So what is the future of um, Prison Break Brewery? Where where can people find it, first of all? What type of support are you looking for from people? How can they get involved if they're interested? Give me the scoop on that. Okay, if you just go to uh, prisonbreakbrewery.com, that would tell you uh, where to buy. Like you can hit the where to buy, or you can click the buy now, and and we sell it. uh, through a, another a, a place called Craft Beer Kings, you can order it online and get it anywhere in the four, lower 48. It takes a couple weeks. Um, it's expensive, uh, you know, uh, but some people like to try, uh, you know, different craft beers and other people would support us. We've had people buy it, say, I like your story, and and they ordered some beer. Um, so, you know, you just go to the website and, uh, you know, I I don't know what kind of, you know, I don't know. I'm going to let the universe provide me with the support because I could be asking for something that I think I need. And I really don't. And uh, I just know, I, I just know I could use some help. Um, and where that, what, you know, where that comes from and what it is might be totally different than what I had in mind. I think I want a brewing partner. I want a big beer company to buy me out, but maybe I do, but maybe not now. You know, I, I don't know what I want. I, I think I know, but I'm going to, I'm just going to do the best I can and and see where that takes me and if somebody comes out of the woodwork and says hey i'd like to go do this with you and i got some experience in in this this and this and i you know and then i'll and i like them and i connect with them then then you know because i might have someone offer me everything i like but i might not like them yeah and, and fuck that and fuck that no i'm, I'm not getting involved with somebody i don't like uh i'd rather life's struggle too short. life's too short to get involved with people you don't like Right, exactly. So I'll just go ahead and start. I love my partner now. He's not really, he can't be my partner because he's still on probation, but he's going to be my partner when he's off probation. Right now, he's just an author whose book I'm going to publish. Um, and yeah, you know, and I and I, I love spend, talking to him and spending time with him, but I, I don't want to get involved with people that I don't enjoy being around. Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking forward to seeing what the future looks like for you. Um, I congratulate you on making it to where you are now. And I think that your story of um, redemption and resilience and um, recovery from that victim mindset is so relatable to people. 
And if anybody's listening to this and you think, well, yeah, but I've never been in prison, I would check yourself a little bit because my expectation is you've been in one for a long time. Yeah. It just doesn't have bars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, mean I, I could be in one right now and I catch, I, I do fall into it a little bit, that mindset, but I catch myself very quickly now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will go ahead and put all of the um, links, the link to your um, prisonbreakbrewery.com in the show notes. And is there is that the best way for people to reach out to you? Or if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do well, that? Well, they could shoot me, go to GT at Prison Break Brewery. Greg Thompson, GT at Prison Break Brewery. Uh, I'll answer your emails. You got any questions? If, if there's anybody out there struggling or some guys coming out or women coming out that may, trying to start a business and they're running into some uh, some problems or something, you know, uh, we we know a lot of ways not to do it. Um, yeah. You know, it's like Thomas Edison. I know a thousand ways not to, you know, make a light bulb, uh, you know, but they weren't failures, just ways of not to how not to do it. And uh, so if anybody wants to reach out to me, they can. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Greg. I, I think this has been such an enlightening conversation and it's different from what they hear mostly on the show. So I really appreciate you being so open and transparent with your story. Why, thank you. You're great. You're easy. You you get it. I like talking to you because you're a criminal, <laughs> criminal justice attorneys. They're, they're like, you know, they're almost, you know, they're, you know, it's like it's like cops. I get along good with cops and uh, because we're two sides of the same coin. Yep. You know, as long as they're straight above board cops that, you know, that aren't dirty cops, I, I'm cool with them. I got no, I, I got yeah. no problem with them because we share a we share a lot of, you know, uh, things in common. Just like with you, you've heard all my story from other people. So it's been great. Yeah, talking I've to you. heard it. I've seen it. I've, you know, that's part of the frustration of continuing to do the work is, um, getting emotionally invested. Like I tell my clients all the time, I can't care about your success more than you do. Like I do everything that I possibly can to keep you out of prison. And then you're back in my office like six months later. So like, I can't care about your freedom more than you do. <laughs> Which you obviously did. Yes, I did very much so. I also think you said something on this episode that I would love for you to consider um, in a future project, because if you don't do it, I might. Um, you had said it's like breaking free from the prison mindset. I think that that would be an incredible name for a book. If you did like an anthology, breaking free from the prison mindset and got um, seven or eight, 10, 12 convicts that had um, had some redemption in their life. Talk about the biggest lessons that they had learned and what mindset shifts they had had. I think that you could have an incredible book on your hands. That's a, that's a good idea. I'll talk to my partner. He's the writer. Um, he's amazing. Where do you read yeah, his stuff? Anthologies <laughs> are so popular right now because people can people can read. 10 or 15 different opinions in the same book and they don't have to read 200 pages from the same person. And so each person writes 10 yeah. pages or so, and then you've got a 120 page book, 150 page book. Um, you can charge people to be a part of it if you want, or you can require a donation to your nonprofit 
to be a part of it if you want. You can do so many different things with it. Um, I just think that that is a book that the world needs to hear is mindset shifts from physical prisons and then the success on the other side of it um, because that's going to relate to the mindset shifts that we For all have every day. Correct. Have you, uh, one more thing, have you been to our website and read the, uh, the blogs or the, uh, we have a, he had, he wrote a book called from, uh, from, uh, fed joints to beer joints. And there's a, the first chapters are, are, it begins with his story in prison. And then we have a couple blogs on there. You got to check them out to check out his writing. And, uh, but that's, yeah. that's, that's a, it's a true story. I'm not in it, in the story yet until he gets transferred to Colorado and we start hanging out together. And then I become a central part of the story, which leads into this business. And uh, for you know, ergo, you know, from from fed joints to beer joints. But you got to go to our website and check and read the blogs. They're, they're called Tales from Behind the Fence. And Will do. Funny. And then feel free to stay in contact. If there's anything that I can do, let me know. I mean, I am always um, a fan of seeing people turn their life around. So. Um, if I can support you guys along the way in any way, please feel free to let me know. Thank you very much. You're a sweetheart. I've had, it's been a great conversation. I haven't had an interesting conversation like this in a while. It's definitely been one of my favorite podcast episodes as well. Thank you. Of course. Take care and um, we'll, I'll let you know when this is released. Hey, thanks a lot. Talk to you, Amber.